Hey, this is uh, Will Procaccio. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Ned Jordan And Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. Hi, this is Jeff Van Tuckin here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 34. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... It's Josh. This is Zach. We are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks as well as comic reviews from the past two weeks as well. So, we've got a lot of different news to cover because DC decided to throw a bunch of Batman news at us at once, despite the fact that they did no news for quite some time. So we've got some news to cover. If you think I've been bad news before... There's absolutely no trade paperbacks coming out in the next two weeks, so... We'll skip that part of it. We have nine comics to cover to do the reviews, and then we have bad books for beginners. So let's get into comic news. <gasps> As a kid, I used to watch you with my father. The great ghost was my hero. So it wasn't all for nothing. So the very first thing we have is on December 7th, it was announced that Batman Earth One is coming in 2010. The source posted up an announcement earlier that day promising some huge news throughout the week. The first thing that they announced was the start of a series of graphic novels featuring Batman in a new continuity, Earth-1. DC will unveil a graphic novel entitled Batman Earth-1. The stories will feature a brand new continuity and start with the early years of Batman's career. The first graphic novel will tell the story of Crime Alley. If this news wasn't big enough... By itself, there's more. Jeff Johns will be writing the original graphic novel, and Gary Frank will be doing the art. Johns made this comment about the series to the source. Batman Earth-1 allows Gary and I to break the restraints of any continuity to focus on two things, character and story. I um, am kind of looking forward to this a bit, but I'm hesitant. It's Gary Frank and Jeff Johns and the Superman Secret Origin. It's been well done with some exceptions here or there. I know that there are certain Superman fans who aren't happy about it because it's retconning uh, Burns' Man of Steel, which, trust me, I can totally see where you're coming from if you've ever heard me on any podcast at all. Uh, looks like they're not making any illusions, though, that this is Batman's new origin. This is just going to be set in a different continuity. The title's a little confusing because it's like Earth-1. I thought we were already on Earth-1. And all those people who are saying, oh, cool, this is, you know, just like the Dark Knight, because Batman's in a world with no other superheroes. They say flat out in the interview that this is in the same universe as the Superman Earth one, that the graphic novel that they're going to be doing. So everyone who's saying that this is, you know, Batman as he's supposed to be done and Batman in the, a realistic world, read the interview. <laughs> Please. I'm looking forward to it at the same time. I'm kind of not because I don't need another origin story. And I'm going to be the one person on a comic podcast to say that I'm not a Jeff Johns fan. What? So, so I, uh, but I'm looking forward to Gary Frank's artwork. So I'll, I'm interested to see how this turns out. Since Josh hinted at the interviews, let's uh, go into the interview that was done with Jeff Johns over at Any Cool News. Let's do Josh reading Cool, I'll read Jeff Johns. So, what is Batman Earth-1 all about? It's Gary Frank and I joining together to be a part of the first line of ongoing graphic novel series 
ever from the big two. Batman Earth-1 is, is more in line with the European idea of releasing chapters of ongoing series in graphic novel form. We're planning on doing two novels a year and set in this new universe. We're getting unlimited creative freedom that we couldn't have in content, current continuity. When Dan DiDio asked Gary and I if I would be interested in something like this, we were on board immediately. We're taking on Batman and the world around him and rebuilding it from the ground up. How do you make an iconic origin like Batman's fresh and different than previous takes on the story? Our Batman is decidedly different Batman, yet it is, of course, Bruce Wayne. I want to let the book speak for itself, but Batman, Alfred, Detective Gordon, Arkham Manor, the twisted origin behind Gotham City, the Batmobile, and of course, the world's greatest group of villains are all part of the world we're creating. Some of its characters will be more closely resemble the classic interpretations, while others will be wildly different. We'll be introducing a lot of new characters and elements to this Batman. The first graphic novel features an entirely new villain. The Joker. Insane or sane? And will he be showing up in Batman Year One? If anyone knows my work, they know how much I love villains. I've been dying to crack into the best rogues gallery in comics for years. Eventually, yes, you'll see the Joker. But the first well-known villain we'll be focusing on in on early in the Batman Earth 1 graphic novel series is the Riddler. So, that is the interview with Jeff Johns. So, Batman Earth 1, we get a whole new origin. I think I think it'll be pretty good. And unlike Zach, I, I do like Jeff Johns' writing. So, uh, I'm interested, and I've been actually hoping that Jeff Johns was going to do something Batman-related for quite some time. And ever since uh, Apple and I met him at Comic-Con and talked to him, it seemed like he really wanted to do something that was Batman-related, too. So I'm kind of glad that we're going to be getting something Batman-related from him. <laughs> Look alive, wage slaves! Presenting that caliph of clowns, that mogul of mountebanks, the one and only Joker! <laughs> So that's Batman Earth 1. Let's move into some other just little tidbit news. On December 7th, Sterling Gates talked with comic book resources about his World Finest miniseries. And there's a couple of little interesting tidbits that came over in here. They asked him if he would be interested in doing a World's Finest sequel or whatever you want to call it. Uh, a series into the future that follows the continuity. And he said he would be interested. So that was that. Now let's have a look at you. Ubu. You could have been my successor, detective. Instead, you will suffer the fate of all mortal flesh. Moving into the next big news. On December 9th, it was announced on the source that Bruce Wayne will make his return to comics this coming April. Bruce's return will be featured in a new miniseries called Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne. There will be six issues, and none other than Grant Morrison will be writing the issues. Chris Sprouse was announced as the artist on the first issue. Grant Morrison is calling the series the latest chapter in the long-running, definitive Batman epic. And then they provided some different character designs done by Andy Kubert, and one of them is Batman in some kind of caveman outfit, and another one is Batman in some kind of pirate outfit so yeah and we also um they gave us a sketch that makes it look like um i guess they're bringing in um davy jones from uh 
the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Uh, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> well, that, that, it's a joke, because the Bruce Wayne pirate sketch looks like Davy Jones. I know. We, you, including the beard and the the little bat head that he has on his caveman outfit. It looks like with the sketch that it's like real life bat skin that he like killed a bat, but then it was like, well, wait a second, bats don't get that big. So it's kind of disappointing because I love the idea of Bruce like killing a bat and wearing it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm just, I'm curious to see if this kind of brings him back to the books or if he makes his own return in the books themselves. I'm under the impression that this miniseries describes his lives in the Omega Sanctions, and then we get something at the end that will lead us into the books in the future. So, based on this announcement from DC, Grant Morrison talked with USA Today about this miniseries. So we're going to read a couple of the more important questions that were asked in final crisis the original batman bruce wayne is hit by the omega beam during a battle with the villain Darkseid. the beam sends wayne spinning into the unknown cast off into the time stream he is thought to be dead by both friends and enemies in the aftermath the role of batman is assumed by the original robin dick grayson and the role of robin is assumed by bruce wayne's son damien what else should readers know as the lead in to the return of bruce wayne could there possibly be anything else to know after the masterful summing up? To be honest, I don't think readers need to know even that much in order to return to enjoy return. Although it ha- it's also the latest chapter in the long-running definitive Batman epic I've been trying to pull off since 2005, Return has been structured and written to read as a complete story on its own. Everything a new reader needs to know will be in the pages of the book itself. Read all the graphic novel collections together, however, and a much bigger, more complex, involving story will emerge. Return is a fairly intricate time travel story in which the world's greatest hero, the optimal man, is up against the supreme challenge of ingenuity and skill. How does Batman get out of the ultimate trap? It has a mystery and apocalyptic countdown going on. There are some major twists and reveals, and it set up big changes to the Batman universe status quo. It's my understanding that Return will follow Bruce Wayne through different eras as he makes his way, presumably, back to the modern day. Any hints on which eras we might see Bruce exploring in his quest to find his proper place in time? The first episode is set in late Patholithic era the second is in Pilgrim era of Gotham Village, and we also get to see Gotham in, the, in Western or Norse style. Each of the stories is a twist on a different pulp hero genre. So there's a caveman story, the witch hunter, Puritan adventure thing, the pirate Batman, the cowboy, the P.I. As a nod toward those mad old 1950s comics with caveman Batman and Viking Batman adventures. It's Bruce Wayne's ultimate challenge, Batman vs. history itself. I've tried to thoroughly research each time so that the stories work not only as least fairly plausible reconstructions of life in the real 17th or 19th centuries, but also as romanticized pulp versions too, while at the same time referencing the most extravagant history and fictional DC Comics universe in the background. So, we will be seeing Bruce Wayne in multiple different eras. Yeah, this pretty much confirms our Bruce Wayne 
I don't know. If, I've never seen the show Quantum Leap, but I've heard people describe it as such. Like when you jump from timeline to timeline, but the Bruce Wayne Quantum Leap theory. Some of the stuff though, like Pilgrim Era, Gotham Village, uh, you know, Cowboy Batman. It's I'm a little hesitant, <laughs> but a little excited too. And knowing Grant Morrison, like he'll find some way to pull it in using those old caveman and you know uh, caveman Batman stories and Viking Batman stories from the Silver Age and Golden Age to actually make those in continuity because that's what Grant Morrison does. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a different story. It'll be something that we haven't really read that'll it'll make sense. So, oh, it'll be. It'd be refreshing, I suppose. Enemies of society or victims of a revenge-crazed vigilante? You decide. Gotham exposed. So moving along, we have a little bit of news also on December 9th. The new Batman Robin artist was announced, and despite Fraser Irving constantly saying he's going to be on this book, he's not going to be on the book the next time around. Andy Clark will be taking over the art duties once Cameron Stewart finishes his three-issue run. Um, you may re- recognize Andy Clark's name because he's specifically re- he's worked on some other Batman-related projects such as Batman Confidential, Detective Comics, and he also did the cover art for all of the Batgirl issues from last year's miniseries. I remember liking those covers. And I'm looking at the sketch right now of Damien kind of playing some, some weird version of Leapfrog with Dick. I don't know. But it's uh, the art's good, so I can get on board for this. I just hope that we get some consistency on this book again, because I don't like the fact that it's less than a year, and, you know, look at how many artists this book has had announced. Yeah, it's it's always hard when for a book to kind of role even even though this book has been extremely successful when every three issues a new artist is coming onto the book but they're getting good artists to do it so it shouldn't really be that much of a problem i can see it clearly now for the first time and that's pretty much all of the news we've had over the last two weeks you know two big news items but for the most part not a whole lot that's all i wanted to know that's going to wrap up the comic news. Like I said, there's no trade paperback, so we're going to get straight into our comic reviews. And the first one will be Batman Confidential, number 39. And here we go. Batman Confidential, number 39, kicks off where 38 left us. Batman and Blackhawk have been captured by Ted Gaynard and Lady Blackhawk, who is still currently brainwashed. And they are in the Sky Skull. And... Gaynard is continuing his speech about his new America and how he loves America. He compares himself to uh, Franklin Roosevelt. He then explains that he has sent a tape to the Daily Planet claiming that the destruction of Gotham City was, was committed by the Chinese and the Chinese were aided by the Black Hawk Corporation. He also says that We'll see nuclear missiles flying into Beijing from the U.S. here pretty quickly. He's explaining that that America needs a war and so on. We then see some Blackhawk fighter jets that 
obviously are under gainer's control, flying through Gotham, dropping missiles, destroying buildings. Batman's kind of talking to himself about, you know, how horrifying this is and what he's going to do to get out of it. Um, we see that he has a knife in his hands and he cuts the rope and he attacks Gaynard. Blackhawk then attacks Lady Blackhawk telling her, you know, come on, you can help us, snap out of it. And they're fighting and, and she takes him down and she says, you know, I'm too much for you, old man. He then turns and hits her with some sort of taser and then she snaps out of the brainwashed coma, I suppose. Uh, Batman and Gaynard are going at it. Gaynard doesn't know what to do because Batman's anticipating every move. He's, you know, how how can you do this? How do you know what I'm going to do before I do it? Batman hits Gaynard. He slides. Gaynard then gets up and takes off running. He runs to some sort of switch, flips the switch, and because the Sky Skull is in the sky, a trap door falls out underneath Batman, and he... Looks like he's going to fall to his death into Gotham. Coincidentally, though, there is some chains hanging, so Batman grabs on to one of the chains, and he's dangling from this chain outside the Sky Skull. Gaynard's standing over him on the platform. He pulls out a gun. He's getting ready to shoot him, when all of a sudden it appears that Blackhawk shoots Gaynard's hand and shoots the gun out of Gaynard's hand. Gaynard and Blackhawk then get into it, and Gaynard takes Blackhawk down. About the same time that Gaynard is about to dispose of Blackhawk, Lady Blackhawk appears and hits Gaynard in the face with the butt of her Gatling gun, and Gaynard falls out of the trap door into the Gotham Harbor. We cut back to the Sky Skull where Batman, Blackhawk, and Lady Blackhawk are discussing what they're going to do to you know, stop this, and they decide someone needs to stay behind and destroy the Sky Skull. And Blackhawk volunteers for this. So Batman and Lady Blackhawk escape from the Sky Skull in a plane, a jet, and these Blackhawk jets are still destroying Gotham. We then cut to back to the control room of the Sky Skull where Blackhawk is slowly making his way to the control panel. He's talking about he needs to recalibrate the positioning of the jets so that they head east out of Gotham and out of the harbor. So he does this. He recalibrates this so they head east, which it appears then that the planes self-destruct and are out of Gotham's way. Batman and Lady Blackhawk are in a little bit of trouble from the the debris from the planes, um, but they're going to be okay. Cut back to the control room where it appears Blackhawk has been shot several times, and who else appears but Ted Gaynard? Somehow, magically makes it out of the ocean and back up into the sky. He shoots at Blackhawk, but Blackhawk has the bodysuit on, the armor, so it's not it's not doing anything to him. Gaynard, probably already a little disabled, is grabbed by Blackhawk, and Blackhawk says, you know, you're not getting away with this, and you have two choices. You can surrender or you can die. And Gaynard says, given my options, I choose to die. We then see a panel where the Sky Skulls self-destructs and explodes and then we cut to a panel where there is one remaining Blackhawk fighter jet. Ben says you know there's one left a plane made it out um, and it's going down and it crashes into a street in Gotham and Batman and Lady Blackhawk run up to the to the plane and who else is in it but Blackhawk. 
he escaped this guy's call before it was destroyed. Um, they get Blackhawk's medical medical attention. Gotham is in shambles, but it appears that repairs are already underway. We cut to three months later at Wayne Towers. There is some fundraiser for Blackhawk Industries. Um, Bruce and Blackhawk are outside on a balcony, and Blackhawk's explaining how he's so sorry he feels responsible for this. And Bruce says, I understand what you went through, and, you know, you'll get over it. Blackhawk says, you know, I trained Gaynard. I'm responsible for what he did. And, you know, I'm getting old, so, you know, because of my age, I'm choosing to move on, to not regret, to, you know, admit that I made mistakes, and that Gaynard wasn't even one of the worst of them, and that Lady Blackhawk is still with me, so I need to appreciate what I have while I still have time. He says to Bruce, well, excuse me, I gotta have dinner with Lady Blackhawk, and Bruce says, oh, don't let me stop you. So they they exit. Um, Tim comes out to the balcony, and he says something to the effect of the old geezer looks like he hasn't lost his touch. Bruce tells Tim who that is, and Tim goes, that was Blackhawk? That guy's a legend. And Bruce says, he's more than a legend. He's a hero. The final panel is we see two fighter jets going off out of Gotham into the sky, and that's where the story ends. So that was the end of Batman Confidential number 39. Have a nice day. All right, that's going to take us into the third issue of Asriel. Now, Asriel's having a bit of a coming-out party in uh, Jewish Gotham, literally. There's a section of Gotham called Jewish Gotham because that's where all the uh, Jewish and Palestinian people live. Now, when I say coming-out party, I mean his first outing among the public and it's not going well there's a riot and despite the best efforts of assemblywoman gomez to calm things down things aren't exactly going too well now bullock and the cops are there to try and arrest him as he protests that there's no time for this because of well before he can actually finish what's actually going on a sniper in the crowd shoots a civilian which goes to show you whenever someone with a cape says there's no time for this there usually isn't so as Bullock and the cops search for the sniper's location, Asriel disappears. Michael Lane regroups from this ordeal back home with Adrian, and he fends off an angry voicemail from Felicidad, who's not too happy that Lane was at these riots, and Jenny Lane, who tells Michael that Sandshark is looking for him, uh, which the way that it, it makes it look like it's Sandshark that's looking for him, but it's actually his old army buddies looking for him about Sandshark. Now, we get some flashbacks throughout the issue of Michael Lane and his army buddies. Apparently, the leader of this group, Sandshark, at one point tried to lead a covert uh, mission into the home of some Iraqis and kill them and kind of keep it off the record because it wasn't exactly legal what they were doing. And the other guys were like, no, 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 this isn't right. And Sandshark, who was just bloodthirsty and wanted to kill the Iraqis, blew up the house anyway. And now they're all investigating Sandshark because he's killing a bunch of Iraqis and Palestinians and Muslims in Gotham, and including the Jewish Gotham population, which is what brought uh, Michael Lane to all this in the first place. So Sandshark, when his army buddies try to talk to him about this, he just tries to kill them. Lane restrains him and is like, okay, we're going to take him to the police. But Sandshark's like, yeah, that's a good idea because then they're going to start asking questions about what the rest of us did while we were in the army and you guys were there, you guys were involved too. And immediately, Lane's army buddies are like, you know what? 
can let him go. He'll kill a few more Muslims, get it out of his system, then he'll just get a 9-to-5 job and start drinking. So they persuade Michael to let him go and keep on killing people, basically, till he gets it out of his system, which Michael's not happy about. So one of the great things about a dual identity is the fact that uh, after all this was said and done, Michael basically just changed to Asriel, waited till this guy was on a train, and proceeded to stab him with the Sword of Sor- Sorrows and kill him. You later see Michael Lane, though, at the end of the issue. He's a little sad and affected by the fact that he killed this guy. And that pretty much concludes the third issue of Asriel. You can listen. Batman 80-page giant. Uh, the title of this book is Gotham Freezes Over. Now, I want to set this up before I get too into this. This was split up into eight different stories with eight different creative teams. So you have to bear with me through this. Um, the first story is titled Fire and Ice, which Batman and Robin star in. And it's basically, there's been a blizzard in Gotham and businesses are closed and they're going out of business and people are, are hungry. There's no heat, there's no power. People are starving, so they're starting to revert to violence to get what they need. Civilians are losing their minds. So basically, the Fire and Ice story is Batman and Robin fighting off civilians who are vandalizing and attacking other people. We cut to this father and son who the father tells him, you know, we maybe we wouldn't have to do this if, if I hadn't lost my job. And he's talking about stealing. He says it's all about survival. So we then cut back to Dick and Damien fighting off more civilians and Damien goes a little too far and almost kills one of the civilians. Dick tells him to stop, and then they get some sort of Molotov cocktail thrown at them. And Dick protects Damien and explodes, and they're fine. We cut back to the father and the son who the father shoots a window, goes in, and they start vandalizing this some store. And he says, anything you can find, cameras, anything like that. He says, well, we, his son says, well, we don't need that. He says, we need everything. The father notices that other people are going into the store and stealing things, so he comes out and he hits one of the men with a crowbar. And then he is hit with a battering, and he says, you know, Batman, Batman, stay away. And he says, take it easy. I know the storm's rough, but uh, this isn't the way to handle it. And he says, I'm only going to tell you once. The, the, the father picks up a gun, and he says, get away. And there is a, a car that explodes, and Batman falls and the father is standing over him with the gun, and he's getting ready to shoot him, and then his son jumps in front of him, and he shoots his son. He is then taken away, and we get some... The kid apparently lives, and he's he doesn't die, but he needs medical treatment right, right away, and Damien hopes that he's going to be okay, and Dick says, you know, we can't save, save everybody all the time, but we can try, and sometimes we succeed. And that's the end of the first story. The second story is a rather interesting one. We open up at a street corner where there's some prostitutes and a car rolls up and picks one up and who else is driving the car but Alfred. We then go to this Wayne Foundation winter ball where Alfred is dancing with her and all the other big Gotham moguls are commenting on how embarrassing this is and this is ridiculous. And Alfred is saying, you know, you're a wonderful dancer. And they walk by these two gentlemen who make some obscene comments and Alfred gets a little upset and uh, a waiter walks by, he trips him and 
the food falls on the two men who then come after Alfred. Uh, Alfred slides a chair in front of one of them and he falls into a table. And then the other one says, what do you think you're doing, you old man? And then a a gentleman walks up and asks Alfred to leave. Uh, The prostitute says, you know, I'm sorry, this is all my fault. Cut back to a bedroom where there some misleading information, but then it turns out that Alfred has only bought her a new set of clothes and he plans to get her out of the city. He says, I buy you a one-way ticket to Suex Falls, a fresh start. He says, all your legal issues will be removed and uh, your record will be clean and your associates will not contact you and this part of your life's over and you don't need to worry about the past. And she says, how can you do that? And he says, I know people. She says, why are you, why are you doing this for me? And he says, well, my best friend who was devoted to helping people died. And he says, this is kind of a way he keeps his memory alive. She gets on a bus, thanks him. And she's gone. Cut back to the Wayne penthouse where Dick and Damien are like, uh, is it correct in believing that you spent the night with a prostitute? And he said, uh, yes, I did. And they said, are you kidding? Right. And he doesn't answer them. And then we get at the end, it says, Dick says, well, it's hard to say with Alfred, you never know. And that's the end of that story. The next story is titled the Saint in the hero of orphan alley. It follows these three orphans who are talking about how they've, figured out what Batman's secret is that there are actually three of them they each fight crime themselves and this kid convinces the others too that you know they can do this and he shows them equipment gives them some equipment some a hockey mask and some some armor and some suits and some baseball bats and some tasers and they decide that they're going to they're going to be like Batman and three of them are going to go out and fight crime. The three of them will fight together and then the two will slip away and one will take the credit. So they're waiting on top of a roof and they say, get ready. And there's a heist going on in a store and they come out and Colin, one of the orphans is staying on top of their getaway car and he's taking out the driver. And then the other two come up behind the two robbers and take them out. Um, the store owner thanks them and then we cut back to during the day and they're on top of a rooftop again and they one of the boys is in their headquarters i suppose saying that there's there's nothing on the news they're waiting to see them on the news and then they see a they see smoke two boys see smoke so they go to this uh, crashed uh school bus uh, w- one boy tells the other one to you know lay low see what's going on here so he comes up and a girl comes out and she says, there's been a big monster that's flipped our bus and killed the driver. He's going to eat one of us for every five minutes that a mask does not, doesn't arrive. One of these boys goes and checks, the, checks it out and he sees all these dead people. And then a very large green hand grabs his shoulder and throws him. And it turns out to be Killer Croc. And he says, you know, you made Black Mask send me to into this mess to find you and there's no crime fighters in in orphan alley and the second boy appears they one he shoots him with the taser shoots killer croc with a taser in the neck he says and croc says two and 
Croc just basically punches the one and is through the kid's body and out through his back. And the one boy says, no, no. And Croc grabs the other one by a throat, but then the cops show up and start shooting Croc. And they said, you know, it's over. Stop. The one boy who's dead, his name's Grady. And Colin, the one who convinced the three boys from the beginning to, to fight crime, is, you know, I'm so sorry. And, and then the boy back at the headquarters is watching the news and he sees that there's been an attack on a high school bus by Waylon Jones and he fled the suit and he's fled the sewers and Colin comes back to the, to the headquarters and boy at the headquarters is thank God you guys are, you guys got out of there. Did you see, did you see this? It's on the news here. And he says, the man who died is being referred to as the saint of orphan alley, who the same man who broke up a robbery two nights before and the boy asks what what's happening he says it's it's great he's he's dead i took the mask off of him and he says it's it's over ryan i killed grady and he feels responsible so that's the end of their crime fighting days next story veil and revealed which starts off with you're out we're outside a abandoned theater and Veil, the Veil is inside, and she's seeing everything that's going on in Gotham. And outside the theater, this older gentleman is being being robbed by this this kid. And he says, "You know, you're empty. Your wallet's empty." And he says, "If you want to rob somebody, go rob Bruce Wayne. Um, you don't sucker punch a 55 year old man who you don't sucker punch a 55 year old man." And, then he says what would your mother think about that and he says what did you say about my mother and he grabs a rock and he's about to slam the guy's head in with the rock and then the veil grabs this kid's arm and she says david stop and he goes how do you know my name and keep the promise you made to your mother and he says what are you what are you talking about you know i'm talking about your mother you know on her deathbed you made a promise to straighten out you'd stop using but you're high right now and he says how could you know that no one knows the veil then says she wanted you to call it, go to college. She thought you'd be a good doctor, and she tells him to go home, and he runs off. The older gentleman thanks her, and he tells her his name is Charles Stratford, and she says, nice to meet you, Charles. And he says, you know, he was about to fall into my trap. I had him right where I wanted him, and she says, of course you did. They go into the theater, and uh, he starts talking about how the la- he remembers the last show being played, Phantom of the Opera. He went and saw it twice, and he starts talking about this actress, Millicent Maine. And he said he saw it twice because she was so beautiful, and the veil says she was. They go into go up walking towards the stage, and uh, he says it's a shame this place was never rebuilt, and city should use some could use some entertainment. He says, I took my granddaughter when she first played here. And she asked, do you take her to the theater a lot? And he said he used to. And uh, she says, why not? And he says, well, five years ago she was kidnapped and I never saw her again. And she says, oh, I'm so sorry. And he says, me too. He says, can I ask you a question? And she says, sure, but don't expect an answer. Why haven't you told me your name? And she says, that's, she goes to say her name. And he says, I know your name is Millicent Maine. It's your eyes. I wouldn't forget them. He says, I want to know why you didn't tell me your name. Is it your face? And she, he says, what happened to it? 
she explains that Two-Face had thrown acid in her face, and so part of her face is ruined. And she uses the fan of the opera mask to hide that side of the face. She starts telling him about how she could see things in Gotham, how she talks to the city. And he gets a little upset because he's like, well, if you can see all these, you need to, you know, why aren't you using this to help people? You you could save people. You could have saved my my granddaughter. And he walks out. And then she realizes that he's right, that this needs to be used for good. She calls his name and runs out of the theater. And then we see the boy that was robbing Charles earlier with a gun to her back and you know says you're going to die for what you did and then charles hits him in the face with metal rod and he says told you i was about he was about to fall in my trap and he says i'm sorry for saying what i said she says no you're right i need to start helping people says we all have masks we wear they come in as many forms as they are people but we weren't whole until we take them off and he says you have a beautiful spot smile and that's the end of that story we then cut into the Catwoman story, which is no two alike. The one thing I want to say about this is interesting that every other story, there seems to be snow all over the city. But in this one, there isn't any snow on top of anything. So it starts off with Catwoman on top of a rooftop in Gotham. And she's she sees, she's talking about people finishing their Christmas shopping. And then she sees uh, the Snow Queen exiting her car he says she says i used to know her when she had a different name and she had slaves instead of employees uh she starts prowling the alleys and she sees this old couple and the old man says please help please help my wife so she and the wife is suffering because of the cold and she's looks very sick so she takes them to the gotham hospital into the hospital where there is no power. She asks how long will it take to see this woman, and he says there's an 18-hour wait um, unless she's got a gunshot wound. There's no electricity, no supplies, half a staff, and there's 10 times as many people. This guy in the hospital loses, loses it, and he says, you know, my brother just died of a gunshot wound. Maybe you're going to die from a gunshot wound here too. Catwoman whips his hand, takes the gun out of his hand, vengeance is fine but don't but go after the guy who shot your brother and s- some of the people in the the hospital start to lose it so she has to take control of the situation and the meanwhile the older couple is sitting there and the woman is slowly dying um she then dies she had no blood circulation um the old man leaves the hospital and he's pretty shaken up by it Catwoman catches up to him and she says why do you think this is your fault it's talking about how they were scientists and they did research on on snow and snowflakes and took microscopic photo photographs of snowflake they got letters all over the world from people about this and then they got a letter from someone they called the snow queen and she said that the, they had revealed all her secrets and she was gonna put an end to them so they went into hiding basically in this in this hold underground uh that they designed so it was like an ecosystem that could sustain life and catwoman says i'm surprised batman never found you and he said oh he did and 
he was the only only person we saw in 40 years until you and he said she all of a sudden is shaking up and she says when was the last time you how long ago was that when did you last see him he said oh that was years ago and he understood and um she he said you know you look a little bit like him and she says it's the ears everyone makes that mistake she's taking him somewhere else to live and they run into the snow queen and her and Catwoman exchange some words and Catwoman takes out one of her bodyguards and they say, you know, this is not the time to do this. Catwoman takes him somewhere to uh, to live and she gives him, she has stolen some of the Snow Queen's uh, jewelry, which is in the shape of, designed like a snowflake and she gives it to him and starts talking about when somebody you truly love dies, you have the same feeling you had when you first met them. Everything reminds you of your of your love. There are things you wish you could say to them, but you can't. And then she says, Merry Christmas, Bruce. And that's the end of that story. The next story is titled Poison Ivy and the Wilt, which is apparently Poison Ivy has been frozen, so they put her in the morgue. And all of a sudden, she awakes. So she she breaks out of the the morgue and she's all brown because all of her plants have died because it's so cold out and she's traveling through the snow and she's freezing she falls and some some people run up to her she she attacks them and kills them she runs off uh she then goes into the power station station in gotham and she kind of she lays down and she dies but then she's naturally reborn and she starts to blossom, and she heats up, and she turns back into her herself. And then, as soon as she opens the door to the snow, she freezes over again, and the cops pick her up and take her back to to Blackgate. The next story is titled "What Falls Below," starring Commissioner Gordon, and he's going. Up, it starts off with him going up this set of stairs, and officers are down. They be on the lookout for. Mr. Freeze. He runs up to the top of police station and he goes to turn on the bat signal, but it's frozen solid. He then heads back down. There's a there's a armored car that's been flipped over that was carrying Mr. Freeze, and uh, they were trying to transport him to, from Iron Heights to Arkham. When the uh, truck flipped over from the storm, he escaped and he very quickly froze over the drivers, the guards. Um, they also noticed that he did not take any of his equipment with him. We then cut to the city where Freeze is walking through the city and he yells i'm free and then we cut back to gordon and the police and there's a prisoner who has been frozen to a tree and he says they believe he's one of black mass gangs but we won't know until he thaws out then a cop comes up to the commissioner and he says you know we found the second victim and freeze is waiting for you at the ice rink and bullock says uh you know I don't know about this. Last time he we met up with him, he had you captive for over 15 hours. Um, he says, what could he possibly have to say? But Gordon says, well, we'll have to find out. He meets Freeze at the ice rink, and uh, Freeze wants to make a deal that if Gordon lets him stay out through the blizzard free, that he'll turn himself in after the after the blizzard is over. He just wants to wants to be like the man he used to be. Um, Gordon says no, and Freeze attacks him, and he says, uh, you're too slow to move. The gloves are too thick. The boots work like anchors. So the only thing you can do is use your use your gun. And Gordon's pointing at him, and he says, 
You know I'm right. Give me a chance, a chance to remember how it was. You indulge Two-Face half the time. Show me the same decency by granting me a few simple snow days. And Gordon says, well, you know, for almost a moment, it, it, it makes sense. The idea is less crazy out there when a criminal isn't working against us for a few days. Gordon drops the gun and Freeze looks at him and he says, sorry. Uh, Harvey's a schizophrenic and then the cops are all behind Freeze with guns pointed to his head and he says, you're just cold. They say, nice job, Commissioner, and then Batman appears, and he says, for a moment there, I almost didn't recognize you, and he says, for a moment there, neither did I, and that's the end of that story. And then the final story of the 80-page giant is a one-page story called Snow Patrol, where Batman is sitting on top of a building, and there's some frozen gargoyles that look like uh, look like bats, and uh, Batman's talking about how all the villains have escaped, and he's captured penguin and two-face and they're back in their cells and some are hiding or some are already back to their criminal ways and some are just stupid and then he smashes one of the gargoyles and it turns out to be a frozen man bat and he ties him up and is taking him back to arkham and that's the end of that story and that is the end of batman 80 page giant okay and if that wasn't enough for you we still got tons more comics to go over god so let's move into Batman 694. Tony Daniel did the art and wrote it. And we start off with in Devil Square, Cobblepot going into his little building with what appears to be what he's calling birds, but appears to be some prostitutes. Prostitutes seem to be making a large appearance in the Batman books lately. Then we get uh, Penguin taking a bath, talking to Bosworth about how Black Mask is really watching Penguin to make sure he doesn't do anything wrong. Bosworth leaves, and as right after Bosworth leaves, Bat, when Batman shows up, starts beating the heck out of Penguin. Uh, we find out Lark, the chauffeur, was hiding in the shower all along. Lark being one of Penguin's, uh, he calls them birds, but it's really just a henchman that he gives names to. So Batman takes care of her pretty easily. Then we get this weird shot of Penguin naked in front of his prostitutes, which we probably didn't need to see. Then we cut to Batman standing on the roof across from Gotham Medical Center, and he's trying to decide whether or not he did the right thing by asking that kid in the last book about the girl, since he ended up getting shot. And we cut to several hours later back in Devil's Square where somebody is ranting on to the Black Mask mask. Literally, the skull of Black Mask is sitting on a table and somebody's yelling at it. So we are to assume that it's the same person. They're just not telling us who Black Mask is yet. Fright shows up and tells this guy who's Black Mask that the person is Katrina Falcone and he... That's who's messing up everything for Black Mask, including that bombing in the last issue. Then we go to the Reaper, who's kind of walking around Gotham City, destroying stuff, cutting things up. He's got blood all over his scythe, saying that he's going to make sure that all who have anything to do with the death of his family and stuff like that will be brought to justice. Then uh, we go back to Arkham Asylum two days later, where Bruce Wayne, hence the actual Tommy Elliot, is talking to Dr. Arkham about this drug that they've created that's actually going to allow them to cure mental diseases. There are some people who are part of this Gene Corps program. They get on an elevator and say they'll see uh, this Dr. Singh later. They get on the elevator, the elevator ends up crashing, and they're all dead. 
we cut to Gotham City Police Headquarters where Commissioner Gordon and Batman are discussing what happened at the Arkham Asylum with the elevator accident and deciding that it's probably not something that was an accident. Then we go to the docks where Mario Falcone and some of his henchmen or whatever you want to call it uh, have tied up Katrina and put her in a coffin, sealed it shut, and and said to her that she must have given some information off to, must have given some information to one of his rivals because somebody's double-crossing him. She says it's not him. She says, okay, well, we'll see you try to escape from this. So they drop the coffin that's chained shut to the bottom of the water, and Mario Falcone tells them, make sure she didn't get out, make sure you raise it up in a couple hours. Cut back to the bad bunker beneath Wayne Tower, where Damien has been doing some research as far as these pills, the pills that Arkham is doing and the pills that Black Mask is giving people. Uh, the mystery pill is a mishmash of all the same antipsychotics, and it's called a, it's basically a cure-all pill. The same thing that Black Mask is medicating the loonies he broke out of Arkham. So, interestingly enough, he solves that. He starts making some snark remarks about how Batman should have been able to solve this by himself. Why is he doing this? When Batman says, I figured this out yesterday morning. I wanted you to figure it out. I want you to look over this gas mask. They start doing some deducing. Batman, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, starts to find out as through some information that he gets from Oracle that that pill is actually part of something that Hugo Strange was creating. And then it all starts to pe get pieced together. So... We cut back to a ship near Devil's Square where Fright is talking to Hugo Strange and saying the Reaper is late. And then the Reaper ends up showing up. As soon as he shows up, Dr. Desh shows up and gives Reaper his little serum that he must have in order to stay the Reaper or stay alive, I guess. Cut back to the streets of Devil's Squares where Penguin is being driven through the streets and Black Mask's guys are completely destroying his car by shooting it up. Finally, somebody shoots it up with a, what appears to be a bazooka. Car blows up. Lark grabs Penguin. They run off. Bosworth is overhead in a helicopter, and Lark says, we need to get him out of here. Then we cut to Batman and Huntress meeting up, and Dick having some over, over, overhead discussion in his mind about Barbara being upset with him about his kiss with Lena in the last issue. And that was pretty much it. Then uh, Huntress tells Batman about Penguin is toast. He might even be dead. And they they make one little comment about Riddler, which I'm sure will play something more into it before. And then she shows him a picture of a girl across the street from this Dr. Singh's condo, and they think it's her. But what I'm not understanding is who they think it is and who her is, whatever. They split up. Dick is about to go meet Dr. Singh at his condo when Hunter says to him, just so you know, that kid, Baby D, he didn't make it. I'm so sorry. And then we see Batman on the roof of a gargoyle, basically pretty ticked off. And that is the end of Batman 694. I'm fine. Red Robin, number seven. It's nice to return to a 32-page comic. It's a flashback back to Bangkok, Thailand, where there is an assassin going, once again, go, trying to kill this poisonous spider woman. 
and she makes says she's got a proposition. We cut back to uh, the League of Assassins cradle at current time where the Council of Spiders have infiltrated the cradle and they are killing all of the League of Assassins ninjas. Um, Tam Fox is in there and she's telling herself, I'm going to die. I can't believe I was put in this situation. Tam decides she needs to go after it. One of the council members spots her. And then we cut to Budapest where White Ghost and um, Prudence are on the rooftop. And she has captured one of the council spider members white ghost wants to know where red robin is he calls him in and he's in a helicopter over europe saying we need to get back to the cradle the council spiders are are attacking he says that's that's not possible and tim says i don't have time for this and he's white ghost says i do not take orders for you and he says just do it and he's saying to himself i'm so sorry we cut to gotham city where alfred and lucius fox are having some coffee and they're talking about bruce his donations and how his wealth has limits and lucius tells him you know vicky vale's been asking questions and then he also tells him that lucius sent his daughter tam to go find tim drake and alfred says oh that's was not a wise decision cut back to the cradle where this council member is after looking for tam and she's hiding behind some crates and she's talking about you know i know kickboxing uh I've taken self-defense classes. He's looking for her. She hits him with this with this sword, and he uh, he's pretty upset about it. He starts chasing after her. He, he gets a hold of her, and then she pulls out a gun and says she's gonna going to shoot him. But then the big spider council member comes up behind her, but then is getting ready to grab her when Tim flies in and hits him and throws his little disc at the other council member. We cut to Portugal before where the poisonous spider woman has killed another group of men and she's got the two other council assassin members. Uh, We cut back to the cradle where Tim is taking out and fighting all these council of spider members at once. He keeps hitting them and then the big six-armed spider grabs a hold of him and is squeezing him and then he uses this rod with a knife to graze him in the face with it and gets unlocked and it gets the spider lets go of him and he gets out but then the other spider member slices him in the back um and just when it looks like tim is 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 about to die tam steps in and hits him with some sort of metal bar they start to run off and escape they run into the expediters kind of office the computer network room and they see the expediter expediter is dead and uh tim turns around and who is standing there but rachel ghoul cut to pakistan another flashback where this poisonous spider woman has gathered all of her other members and she's talking about how they're going to go after the most dangerous man on the planet and let me tell you about rachel ghoul cut back to the cradle now Raish, Tim, and Tam are all in there. Tim has you're under attack. You have to get to safety, Raish. And he says the demon head fears nothing. And then Raish feels a hand on his shoulder, and it's the poisonous spider woman. She grabs his face, and uh, it appears that Raish has died. 
yet again. Then we get a panel of all the remaining council members, and uh, we get the ending is Tam's inner monologue saying, like I said, my name is Tam Fox, and I'm going to die. But at least I'm going, uh, now I'm not going to die alone. And that's the end of Red Robin number seven. But Matt... You thought it was all over for you once before, and you were wrong then. You know, when you had your accident? Of course I thought it was over. I figured I was lucky to be alive. All right, that takes us into Batgirl, issue five. Now, we start off uh, Batgirl, a.k.a. Stephanie Brown. Uh, There's a fire going on, and she's fighting the villain named Diesel. When Oracle warns her over the comlink that there's going to be some backup showing up, and she's not talking about the cops. Batman and Robin show up for their... This is the first confrontation directly that they've had with each other uh, since the new status quo started with Dick as Batman, Damien as Robin, and Stephanie as uh, Batgirl. Dick tries to get Stephanie to kind of, you know, stay in the background so that she won't get in the way of whatever battle maneuvers he and Damien have planned, but... Batgirl tries to help anyway, which only succeeds in a comical way of her freezing Damien off-panel, which Dick is not too happy about. And he lets Barbara have it back at the Batcave. We get the mentors on one side and the sidekicks on another. The sidekicks are sitting in the hallway, kind of in timeout, while the adults have it out uh, in the Batcave with some great zingers by Barbara, by the way. You know, with Dick, like, how can, oh my God, you know, she frees Damien, it was horrible. And then Barbara's like, so, you got to have a quiet ride home, you probably enjoyed that. Oh, that's besides the point, but yes, yes, that was great. And uh, one of my other favorites is Dick saying, how can you send someone into the field like that? And Barbara says, gosh, Dick, I'm sorry I haven't spent more time trying to train a murderous little twit. Well played, Miss Gordon, well played. And over in the hallway, uh, Alfred, who's kind of babysitting the sidekicks, Damien is not happy about Stephanie at all. You know, he's calling her names and stuff like that. And he's saying, I would have liked to have met Cassandra. I hear she's wonderful. And I don't know if this is implying that Damien has a crush on Cassandra, but she's technically his sister now that Bruce adopted her. So, ew. And Alfred's like, don't worry, I've taken Damien's knives. And he's like, not all of my knives. Well, Dick and Barbara are still having an out, and Dick just loses it and says, I don't care what Alfred says, I want you to get out of this back cave. Smooth, Dick, smooth. Well, back at college, Stephanie is spying on her little crush, Francisco. He's uh, the son of some sort of guy involved in some shady dealings, and he's talking to this uh, woman who... I'd call her a name, but this is a family-friendly podcast, but she's trying to get him to, you know, confront her father and, you know, stop the stuff, and Stephanie's spying on him, you know, because she has a little bit of a crush on him, and she thinks that this woman, Jordana, is his girlfriend. Jordana sees Stephanie spying and kind of is like, ah, you know, and walks away. So Stephanie gets a little one-on-one time with Francisco, and she starts talking to him uh, for two reasons. One, to find out what's going on with her father and how he's involved in all this stuff for the backer reasons and for her entirely selfish reasons of, you know, wanting to have a little bit of a college rebound fling after Tim is gone. Meanwhile, uh, Barbara's having a little bit of sort of romance of her own. Uh, her father, Jim Gordon, uh, told her to meet him at their usual diner. He also told Nick to meet him for another thing at the usual diner. Jim hasn't shown up. He intends on setting these two people up, which he's been trying to do since early on in the series. 
Uh, they both realize this and have an awkward kind of meeting, but it doesn't go too well because Jim didn't tell Nick that Barbara is crippled, and when he sees the wheelchair, he's surprised, and Barbara is a little insulted by this, and she's still mad uh, about Dick and his behavior. So she basically lets Nick have it, and Barbara even admits to herself, you know, that, yeah, I'm just taking out my frustration from Dick on him. And Nick says, okay, you're obviously yelling at me as if I'm somebody else, so I'm just going to leave, and we're going to do this another time. So Francisco and Stephanie are talking, and they make plans for later, but he leaves, and he's like, yeah, by the way, you know, that creepy uh, exorcist kid is, you know, keeps on staring at us. Stephanie looks, and it's Damien, and she's like, what are you doing? You know, you're going to blow our secret identities. He's like, I'm an urban camouflage. I want to see what makes you tick. And he basically, like, goes on, like, you can't fight, you know, you suck at this, you're this, you have no vengeance, I don't know, you know, what your deal is. And Stephanie's like, whatever, you, you'll never understand what me and Barbara are doing until you're older. And stop staring at my chest. And Damien Zinger, what chest? As Stephanie just, like, you know, walks away angrily. Awesome interaction between those two. Well, while bat swinging through the city, uh, she sees a frustrated Francisco in a diner alone making an angry call to his dad. Once again, Stephanie decides to mix business with pleasure and stalk him for the purposes of the case and for the purposes of, you know, her romantic life. She doesn't have any good clothes to change into, so she calls Barbara, who's nearby, to lend her uh, some of her clothes, which are, you know, pretty boomy. It's good. So she goes in looking, you know, hot, and she's like, I'm the best stalker ever. And as she and Francisco are talking, some black ops come in, shoot Stephanie in the face as she passes out on the floor and kidnap Francisco. To be continued. Dad. Barbara? Uh. Uh. Oh my God, no! Jim. How could you? I worked with you, trusted you, and you never told me? She was my daughter. Alright, so that's going to take us into Streets of Gotham. Batman Streets of Gotham, number 7. So we start off with, uh, of course, it's Christmas Eve. The name of the story is In, in the Bleak Midwinter. And it appears that a car just blew up. And Batman and Robin are saving people from cars exploding, this, that, and the other. Um, turns out that the people they expired are actually some off-duty cops who are using some toys to bring to some underprivileged kids. And turns out the reason why they got in the car crash was actually because somebody crashed into them on purpose. And then she, and Batman asks the police officers, well, who is that? And... She says, well, who do you think? Ho, ho, ho. And she says it was basically was Santa Claus. So then Damien makes a nice little remark saying, I figured it was only a matter of time before Santa joined our rogues gallery, which I found pretty amusing. Then we cut to Batman and Robin just going around Gotham City trying to find out who this Santa Claus person is. And they we, we come across a guy who is in a car, who the car is turned on its side. He's dressed as Santa Claus. And we see it's actually Humpty Dumpty. Um, as he's standing there, Abuse actually walks up and says, Here, let me help you. Puts the car on its side. 
and just as abuse is saying, well, hey, uh, you know, it seems that there's been a bunch of children that have disappeared from some orphanage and shelters. Humpty Dumpty says, that's too bad, and he whacks him over the head with a crowbar. So then Humpty Dumpty jumps in his car, drives off, kind of runs abuse off the road. Abuse walks away. We cut to Humpty Dumpty going to an orphanage that he has, and he's bringing this sack full of toys, and he goes now to work. So he starts fixing these toys that are broken, and he's saying that they're, they're going to fix them as much as possible. Then Batman and Robin show up, and say hello Humpty and he says hello Batman Merry Christmas and they go Merry Christmas well we found we figured this was probably gonna be your hideout because we met your friend the broker a little while back once we heard you broke out we figured this is where you would come and they're talking about how Humpty wanted to take the toys and fix them for the children and goes well what children and then Damien says wait a minute wait a minute, and then he lifts up a sheet and they start finding these dead bodies all over this little orphanage. So then Humpty tells them the story about how he was trying to search for different parts for toys when he came across a body, and then the next day he went back out there and he found more bodies, and he's been bringing them to there ever since. Damien's kind of upset about this whole situation and calls the Gotham city police department and hands the batman the phone goes to the corner and actually starts throwing up and says i'm going to get the monster who did this they leave and abuse is standing there and says the sights of this are horrible i can't blame robin for losing it he leaves goes to an orphanage walks inside now here's what i'm not understanding we don't know who this abuse character is but abuse goes in this door the door slams a nun walks up to the boy in the room and says and she asks him, have you seen a strange man? He says, no, I've, I've been in my room all night. And then this boy has abused his clothes and his little, uh, I guess you call them brass knuckles with his name in them. So is abuse actually the boy? I guess we're going to find that out in the next issue. Then we cut to a story where we see a bunch of the orphanage, or a bunch of children who are orphans, who have been basically stuck in this situation where they're fighting against each other for money and Mr. Zaz is running this entire operation and the kids have to fight each other. Whoever wins keeps going on to the next round. Whoever gets to the final round has to go against Mr. Zaz. So that's the end of Streets of Gotham. Then we go into the Manhunter co-feature in the back of the book and this is pretty short. And In the last one we saw that Manhunter kind of fried Dylan's leg off from the knee down. Uh, they asked if they could figure out a way to fix it. They couldn't. Dylan gets taken to the hospital. Kate's pretty ticked off about this whole situation because Dylan was supposed to be working with her. And then she says, well, you're supposed to be you're fine. You're one of my confidential informants. Gordon shows up, says, you need to tell us who your confidential informants are. Then we cut to Two-Face, who essentially was doing that heist to kind of set up Black Mask so that people would go after Black Mask. Uh, he's kind of ticked off that Dylan was captured now. We cut back to the hospital where Two-Face comes in to kill Dylan because he thinks he's going to flip on him. Kate hears Two-Face in the room, goes to get dressed into Manhunter, bursts through the window, takes Two-Face out the window and says, You're not going to take him out. And then uh, Two-Face says, you know, I don't have a problem hitting a girl. And he says, good. And then uh, she starts beating the heck out of Two-Face when all of a sudden 
Batman and Robin show up and say, Sorry, we're here to stop you, Manhunter. And that's to be continued as well. So that's Streets of Gotham, number seven. Playtime's over, freak. Lose the belt, lose the mask. Now! Issue 25 of The Outsiders, and the end of an unfortunately all-too-short era, because this is the last issue of Peter Tomasi's run. This issue around the art is split up by uh, Fernando uh, Pacerin and Derek Donovan, which uh, is really, really jarring when you read the book. But when we last left things, Terra, zombie Terra had returned, and she's like, Oh, Geoforce and Outsiders, help me. I think Terra's a traitor. No, she's my zombie sister. She's cool. We're going to help her. And Katana and Halo and Creeper on the way back uh, from Louisiana with Killer Croc had run into Katana's zombie dead family, and they were fighting them off. So, as we can all expect, Zombie Terra turns on the team and proceeds to attack them. Big surprise. Who would have thought that the reincarnation of Terra, the DC character who's basically uh, synonymous with the word, you know, traitor and turncoat, would would turn on the team? I mean, this was a big shock for everyone. Well, meanwhile, Katana in Louisiana, she's having to deal with her dead husband and kids when Creeper returns with the recently escaped Killer Croc. Yeah, he had escaped during the explosion last issue. And they save Halo uh, just in time before Katana's kids would have killed her. And Creeper and Killer Croc fighting zombie children, it's just brutal. They're ripping these kids apart, limb, and they just keep on regenerating. Katana does the same thing with her husband. She, like, you know, slices him, dices him, limb from limb. But these Black Lantern zombies just keep on regenerating themselves until Halo has some sort of a leggasm causing them to autonomize. There's something wonky going on with Halo's powers this issue. This is where the art changes. And it goes from really, really good art, the really, really good art that they've had for a while, to just major suckage. Now, maybe if this was another book, I wouldn't mind the art so much, but after it comes from like the really good art that they've been having... So Tara has the team captured in her little rock formation, but Alman's gadgetry manages to get them free. Uh, Halo has returned to the Outsiders headquarters where Tara is at the speed of light. Uh, before she did that, though, they you know, captured Croc again. They said, you said I can go back to Gotham if I helped you. It's like, yeah, but we never said that you can go back free. So she's back at the headquarters, and she's uh, able to even the playing field. But eventually, it's Geoforce, who's able to work through his conflicted feelings towards his sister and turns her zombie lantern form into stone. Halo's powers are just out of control at this point, and she keeps on saying, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, I'm going to go into the light. And there's lots of light, and she disappears, confusing the readers, the outsiders, and generally everyone. We then get an epilogue, which is really confusing. Has the team broken up? Geoforce is narrating, and it's really unclear what exactly is going on. But he's back in Markovia, and the dialogue seems to be that either he's returned to his kingdom or that the team's going to be based there. It's We're going to have to wait until next issue. But that's the end of this formation or run of The Outsiders. All too good and all too brief. I never thought it would end this way. Superman Batman number 67 starts off with Bizarro wondering where his friends are. And he's going to find his friends and how him and Solomon Grundy were friends. Uh, He says, well, I'm going to go find my friends. So he goes into Gotham and people are saying, Superman, Superman, we need our help. They soon realize that it's not Superman and they begin to panic. 
he flies up into the sky and out of nowhere comes Black Lantern's Solomon Grundy. He says, now, Bizarro, you die. Sticks his hand into his heart and they crash into the road. And then Frankenstein from the Shade Organization grabs the sword and cuts Grundy's arm off. He says, I did it once, I can do it again. And he says, you can't kill me. Grundy says, you can't kill me. And he says, they're fighting and Manbat sees all this. And then Francine says, you know, you have to turn back into human so we can get this vial so you can have a cure. He says, this is your last chance. You need to, you're losing control, Kirk. Be human again. And Manbat takes over and he says, Manbat will not die. And she says, oh no, and Manbat will live. Cut back to Grundy fighting Frankenstein. Then we then go back to Manbat and Francine. And she says, I remember when I first met you and how young you were and shy and how you wanted to cure deafness. And he begins to tear up. And then we cut to back to um, Bizarro where he's apparently not dead. And Frankenstein and Grundy are still fighting. Grundy and Bizarro make contact. And Grundy says, Bizarro, help me. And then Frankenstein cuts uh, Grundy's head off. Cut back to Manbat. He's turn Manbat slowly turning back into Kurt Langstrom. He turns back into Kirk. Then he says, "Oh no, where's the cure?" And he says, "I must have dropped it." And she says, "I caught it." And he goes to put it in his mouth, but Manbat takes over and he says, "No, no, never." And he breaks the vial. And then Bizarro's flying off, and some National Guard military troops are shooting at Bizarro, and he's flying, and they accidentally shoot Francine. And then Langstrom is so upset that he turns back into Manbat, but she's not dead yet. And she says, no, Kurt, stop, please. We can. And then he throws her off of him. He's Manbat again. Then we cut back to Bizarro is going into all these troops and Grundy is attacking Frankenstein's way. He says, no, get away with, get away from her. And Grundy grabs Frankenstein's heart and rips it out of his chest. His wife says, no, Bizarro sees the look on her face and it plays back to uh, his Lois's face and he's upset. Cut to back to Manbat who he's upset because Francine's dead. Back to Bizarro who now is upset. He takes Grundy and launches him into space, launches him out of Gotham and into space it looks like. Um, meanwhile Manbat is, is still really upset and He's saying, you only tried to save me, cure me, oh, Francine. And then we come back to Bizarro and Solomon Grundy. He says, got Grundy, and he throws Gun- Grundy into the sun. And we cut back to Frankenstein's wife, who's upset. And then Frankenstein gets up. Then it turns out Francine is not dead. She's saying, Kirk. And then the final panel is Bizarro saying, hello, Solomon Grundy. And that is the end of Superman Batman number 67. Process. It's in me, Batman. So that is all the reviews we have. Going to our review wrap-up, starting with Batman Confidential. Batman Confidential. Um, this entire story arc was just... It didn't do anything for me. Um, 
kind of a waste of time. It was it was interesting, and I think the there were problems with the the with issue thirty nine though. There were things that didn't make sense, like how does Ted Gaynor fall out of the sky skull and then magically reappear in it? And I don't know how that happens. Um, it seemed like things fell into place too easily. I did think that the artwork was a little more consistent this issue, but kind of just a mediocre, lame duck story. So one out of five batterings. All right. And Asriel, um, what can I say about Asriel? This series, it's not particularly bad. It's just not for me. I, you know, really don't care about these characters and I'm not enjoying these situations. So I feel like I'm a little biased when I say this, you know, it, it wasn't horribly bad dialogue or contrived situation. So I'm going to have to say two and a half out of five batterings. I mean, and, and this is a Fabian book. So if I'm giving two and a half out of five batterings for a Fabian book, you know that we got a problem. Uh, Batman, a page giant. Um, overall, I thought this was a pretty entertaining issue. Um, I think that of the eight, kind of individual stories that all tie in together in a way i think there were some that stood out to me like the um in particular the commissioner gordon what falls below story written by kevin shanick and art and colors by rafa garris i thought the art was really cool um the story i think had a kind of had some meaning to it um i think the weak points were Things like uh, the Veil story, the uh, Poison Ivy story for sure, and Catwoman was kind of pointless, but it was kind of sentimental in its own way. Um, I think the art was pretty well done throughout the issue. I'm not a big fan of the the kind of the photo referencing style that they used in the Catwoman story, but I think it was still pretty good. So overall, I'll give this book Four out of five batterings. Batman 694. I can kind of see that Tony Daniel is actually starting to bring in some of this stuff and tie it in together so it all is starting to make a little bit more sense. The fact that Katrina Falcone is part of the Falcone family makes sense. I have the strange suspicion that she's actually going to survive that crazy let's put her in a coffin and drop her off the dock. But who knows... Um, I'm interested to see what happens in some regards and then in some other regards I care less. Why do I need to know about this crazy thing that they're doing with these drugs at Arkham Asylum? And I'm sure that'll somehow play into Arkham, Arkham Reborn number three, but at the same time, it's really, I just, I don't really care about some drug that there's gonna, they're gonna somehow cure mental illness. Or why does Mario Falcone not want it, considering the guy's insane as it is. Uh, the art is good. The only thing that I, like I said, there's only very few things that I'm not liking, and specifically just the fact that there's still a lot of loose ends that need to be tied up. I really just want them to get over it, get get it over with, and tell us who Black Mask really is, because it's obviously not Black Mask. They're making it very obvious that they want us to think that it's somebody else. So uh, overall, I'm gonna give it three out of five batterings. Red Robin number seven. Um, well, there was a lot of action in this issue. Nothing really happened. It was basically, Tim, I gotta rescue Tam, I gotta rescue Tam, I gotta rescue Tam. Um, it, it just, there wasn't much to it. Uh, I thought the ending was kind of cool, though, where they bring Raish Al Ghul back into it, and 
he ends up I, apparently dying, which, as we all know, doesn't carry much weight because he'll be alive two issue later anyway. But Marcus Toe's artwork, it's it's solid. Um, it's not anything to praise, but um, it was okay. Overall, I give Red Robin number seven two out of five batterings. Batgirl issue five. I really, really enjoyed this, as I've been enjoying every issue of Batgirl. And I said to Dustin before we recorded, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting repetitive on this podcast because I always have something good to say about it. I'm always enjoying it. But gosh darn it, it deserves it. If not for the relationship between Damien and Stephanie, which is just hilarious. The, you know, barbs that they're having at each other back and forth, culminating in the what chest line. That was just great. Um, I think Dick's, you know, a little out of bounds by kicking Barbara out of the Batcave. You know, come on. Uh, you know, whatever. That's, you know, a little bit of a flaw there. But otherwise, greatly enjoying this series. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of the Damien-Stephanie interaction next issue. Five out of five batterings. All right. That takes us into Batman Streets of Gotham number seven. Uh, overall, it was a simple story, but it kind of reintroduced us to Humpty Dumpty, which has never really had a decent role in the c- comics at all, except for a small part in the Arkham Living Arkham Asylum Living Hell miniseries a while back. Uh, Dini continues to impress as far as bringing in these lesser-known characters and giving them some substance within the Batman universe. Overall, the story, I'm kind of interested to see what's going to happen because we know from the solicitation that Robin's going to go undercover as one of these children that is Zaz is pitting against each other. So, um, interested in seeing where this goes. I like how they kind of tied the fact that, you know, the book is releasing in December, so let's do a little bit something that's Christmas-related, which was kind of cool as well. Uh, Streets of Gotham, overall, good book. Uh, the Manhunter co-feature... Kind of short, not as good as some of the past ones, but uh, I'm interested to know why exactly Batman and Robin are saving Two-Face for Manhunter. So, Batman Streets of Gotham overall, I'm going to give 4 out of 5 batterings. Outsiders. This is, um, I'm really disappointed by this, because I said a few months ago on the podcast, you know, this is a great team uh, on the art and a great team within the book. Don't change a thing. And course it was announced on the very next podcast that yes they were going to change a thing and i i feel like as a whole this run never really got off the ground the way that it should have it was supposed to be alfred kind of leading the bat the outsiders and i mean the last three or four issues heck even after the storyline with deathstroke alfred just kind of went to take in a back seat and it was really cool to have him in the driver's seat, you know, towards the beginning, you know, having that hand-to-hand combat with Deathstroke, which was just awesome. And, you know, then it just kind of that whole thing with them splitting up, fighting the Gotham villains, which that was fine, too. But And the art was great, and I don't know, I feel like something happened for whatever reason where they had to have somebody else finish up the issue, and just the ending was kind of abrupt. Like, Halo disappears into a flash of light, and what's going on with the team? So, I'm really disappointed that this thing is ending. And, I mean, just kind of the other side of the coin, uh, I, you know, was just saying to Asriel, I don't care about these characters at all, I have no interest in the book, but if they make you care, you know, it'll be a good book. 
outsiders, most of these characters coming in, I didn't care about them or these situations, but the way that Tomasi wrote them and the situations made me care. So now I want to see what happens next, but I'm disappointed and not hopeful. And because of the abrupt ending and the art change through the middle, I'm going to have to give this two and a half out of five batterings. Uh, Superman Batman number 67 was uh, much improved from issue 66. However, that's not saying much because issue 66 was awful. Again, this is just like this whole story is stupid. Um, Why would you base? First of all, it's a Superman Batman book and they don't make an appearance in either one of these two issues except for Superman in a one panel flashback. You base your story around three villains that have no sort of emotional tie to the reader and the story is just really irritating scott collins i think the art it, it i think it works because it's kind of this gritty cartoony style of artwork that i think fit well with the book but it's just a story i just don't care about so i'm gonna give superman batman number 67 one battering out of five All right, so that's the review wrap-up. Just two reviews were done on the comics that we covered over on the blog. On the website, Suave Star gave Red Robin 2 out of 5 batterings, and Zaius gave Batgirl number 5 4 out of 5 batterings. So, as always, if you are interested in doing some reviews for the website, just send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we will get in contact with you and figure out which books you'd like to do. There's plenty of books. We've had plenty of people do books in the past. Obviously, the holidays are here, and that's always going to take a, a little bit of a beating as far as people having time to do this, to do comic reviews. But we always are looking for more people to do reviews. All right, let's move into Bat Books for Beginners. Let's throw over to Nick. Hello there Bat fans and welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners or BBFB. I'm your host Nick and today I'm looking at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Trinity, which is a three issue comic book limited series published in 2003. This book is written and drawn by Mr. Matt Wagner who has been reviewed several times on BBFB. Look back at previous episodes for stories such as The Mad Monk, The Monster Men, and Batman Faces. This series focuses on the first meeting and first alliance between DC's Trinity, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Their names are legendary. Wield their powers. Feel their fury. Fight for justice. When the world meets heroes, no one else is in their league. In Antarctica, shadowy figures track down and dig out a creature created by Lex Luthor, Bizarro. Clark receives a tip from an old friend, Bruce, and he meets him in his limousine. Bruce explains that he has been on the trail of an exclusive cartel that can obtain any type of weapon, calling themselves the Purge. An Amazon woman who calls herself Diana passes her audition by fighting several shadowy figures. A man from the shadows offers her a position with the Purge. 
Clark breaks the code on the disk given to him by Bruce and discovers that the purge was after something called Project Replica. He knows what it means and goes to one of the locations only to find it missing. Covered in heavy, thick chains, Bizarro sits as the shadowy man enters. Raish al Ghul. Calling Bizarro his friend, he talks him into joining the purge and adds that no one will ever harm him again. In the Batcave, Batman informs Superman that the man behind the purge is Raish al Ghul, an eco-terrorist. Bizarro steals a nuclear sub for Raish, only to be attacked. He shakes the sub and kills all the soldiers, with one of the missiles launched and detonated near Themyscira. Above the Daily Planet, Superman is greeted by Princess Diana, aka Wonder Woman. She has come to talk about the missile that fell near her home, for which the Amazons believe Superman responsible. When it is eventually revealed to be the work of Bizarro, Diana voices regret over the Amazons' initial suspicions of Superman, and both decide to take down the sub. The fake Diana, working with Ra's al Ghul, and members of the Purge meet with a street gang in Gotham. Batman arrives, and when he goes after fake Diana, Batman is able to fend off most, but not all, of her attacks. Finally, the fake Diana knocks him out and escapes. Recovered, Batman uses one of the Purge members to get answers. Not able to get anything, Wonder Woman and Superman arrive and use her golden lasso, which they wrap around the man and he starts telling the truth. Diana doesn't approve of Batman's aggressive methods, but he isn't seeking approval. Superman tries to play Peacemaker while he introduces one to another and explain why they're here. Diana is taken aback, though, when Batman reveals the fake Diana wearing an eagle crest like the real Diana's. Batman departs, leaving Wonder Woman to question how Superman could consider such a man a friend. In her jet, Wonder Woman sits impatiently until she picks off a signal that is bizarro. Following him to Raish's lair, she learns that the missile is still prepped and ready, so she reveals herself to him. As she gets to Raz, Bizarro appears and gets the upper hand, even breaking Diana's lasso, before completely beating her. Superman reaches a silo in Bulgaria and stops one missile as it launches. Wonder Woman awakens in the same chains that held Bizarro, with Raz next to her. Exchanging words, Raz reveals that one of the missiles will destroy Gotham, while the others will give something bigger for Superman to worry about. All part of his plan to save Earth from man. Just as Bizarro is about to kill Diana, Batman appears and hurts Bizarro with an explosive that hurts his eyes. Blinded, he flies off as Batman fights Raz and beats him, until Ubu surprises Batman in order for Raz to escape. Freeing Diana, Batman and Wonder Woman make their way deep into the complex until Diana gets weakened from the fumes of the Lazarus Pit. Batman goes to work on the missile as one of Raz's followers, Sybil, attacks him. Diana, still weak, fights her but is stabbed. Batman cries for the Amazon just as Sybil falls to her death and Batman stops the missile. Diana enters the Lazarus Pit just as Superman arrives. When she emerges, the fact that the pit causes anyone to go insane at first leads Diana to leave Superman and Batman. Worried about her, Superman and Batman travel to Themyscira to see how Diana is doing. Diana apologises for her hasty departure from Gotham and assumes the Purge is still active. Batman is quick to realise that Raz will have to change his plans. Superman finds out where Bizarro is when Batman's tracking device is being interfered by extreme cold. 
Wonder Woman meets Batman as Bruce Wayne, indicating that, that she knows who he really is. And it is with him that she figures that with a rogue Amazon as his ally, Themyscira would be the perfect target as Raz's new headquarters. Raz's forces reach Themyscira, and the Amazons prepare for battle. A sonic device knocks Bizarro out as Wonder Woman and Batman descend onto the scene. As Batman battles Bizarro and Wonder Woman and Ra's duel, Artemis, or the fake Diana, leads the attack against Themyscira. However, she can't fight her own people, so she decides to fight against Ra's forces. Wonder Woman finally defeats Ra's and helps Batman against Bizarro until Superman comes in, burns Bizarro's hand off, and pushes him into a volcano. The battle ends. Returning to their homes, all three of the heroes agree that without each other, this disaster might not have been averted and each of them consider the other's friends. In an epilogue, Ra's al Ghul's body is found by his daughter, Talia. Artemis, or the fake Diana, begins her journey home after spending a few months on the other side of Themyscira. And below the ocean, the severed hand of Bizarro glows an eerie red, becoming red kryptonite. I am ready, Mother. Then go now. Follow the path of misery, of death and destruction, and you will find Ares. May Gaia be with you, Diana. All of Themyscira, all of the world, depends on you. In review, I thought it was quite an interesting book. I enjoyed the fact that Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman did not really get along to start with. The friction between them creates sparks thanks to the addition of Wonder Woman, who in a way represents a bridge between Superman and Batman, two quite distant characters. Mr. Wagner, however, does not make their differences childish. The things that distinguish them are fundamental to their psychologies. Batman has no family, and Wagner pushes Robin and Alfred to the sidelines to emphasise that tragedy that has made him, which helps readers understand his reluctance to team up. His isolation is attributed to his tragic life and his style of working out of a lonely cave. And they develop this further and one of the reasons I think Batman is reluctant to team up is the fact he's just a man. He always feels a bit weaker around Superman and Wonder Woman, these superheroes, and feels he has to compensate for the fact he's just immortal. And I enjoyed the moment when Superman questions whether if he was a mortal man, would he do the same thing as Batman? I thought that was a very interesting point. However, when the world is threatened, all these differences become meaningless and are put to one side. Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman have dedicated themselves to a single goal saving lives. The similarities between these three heroes are equally striking at that point. I thought it was interesting that Robin appears but isn't allowed to participate. Batman feels that when superpowers become involved it's too much for Robin. So Superman mentioned, so you only let him fight madmen then. And Batman came up with a great quote which was, at least madness is human. I did think that Batman seemed a bit out of character at certain points in this book. I enjoyed his rivalry with Superman and his attempt to not rely on him at all, such as not getting flown and be independent. But sometimes he's portrayed a few times as a brute with a computer. Plus, the kiss moment between him and Wonder Woman seemed like a moment of madness that Bruce Wayne wouldn't succumb to. I gather it's not easy for writers to use Batman in superhero context in team-ups such as this, since he has no, none of those powers, so I felt they went against Bruce's character a bit to ensure he matched his powerful peers in this book, and I didn't think it worked too well. But it's not at all moments, sometimes you feel like this is the regular Bruce Wayne, and at other times you felt this, this is a bit out of character. The book is, however, very focused on the characters, and maybe loses focus on the terrorism plot devised by Roz. 
to pay more attention to the team dynamic. I felt Artemis, or the fake Diana, was never discovered by Wonder Woman, which was a disappointment to me, as I was hoping for an exciting confrontation between the champion and the traitor, and it didn't pay off. I think what makes Matt Wagner's artwork so different from what you're used to seeing is its sense of scope and the use of coloured space. The technique makes the adventure seem more cinematic. The breathtaking settings create the illusion of a real thriving world under a threat that can only be stopped by the combined might of our trio. There's also a mix of, sometimes it seems like Golden Age art, or in particular Batman looks like he's from the animated series. There's art deco styles, and it's all mixed up, and it makes a very impressive effect. The whole thing doesn't look realistic, but it's very stylistic, and it works in a way that I enjoy it, and quite a few people do appreciate Matt Wagner's art. So in conclusion, this is a good book with flaws. From a Batman perspective, it's okay, lets it down a bit for the change of character. From a DC Universe perspective, it's a good book. Matt Wagner has again proved he's a good writer and artist, and sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes the art outweighs the writing, but this time he got a good balance. But again, the writing focuses more on the characters, less on the plot. But when you've got characters this big, that's not too much of a problem. So in conclusion, I'll be giving it 4 out of 5 Batarangs. Patience, Princess. Intergang moves in mysterious ways. Tell me about it. We'll find out soon enough. And in the meantime... I know. Patience. But it's just a job to you. I'm talking about going down there and having some fun. Maybe... maybe with someone special. No. No dating for the Batman. It might cut into your brooding time. One, dating within the team always leads to disaster. Two, you're a princess from a society of immortal warriors. I'm a rich kid with issues. Lots of issues. And three, if my enemies knew I had someone special, they wouldn't rest until they'd gotten to me through her. Next time I'll be looking at Batman colon Batgirl, published in 1997 as a graphic novel, which tells us of Batgirl's beginning of being a superheroine. We see Barbara Gordon getting used to her new night job and feeling the thrills of the new experiences. So we get to revisit Barbara soon after her origin story and see how she's getting on with her crime-fighting career as Batgirl. Until then, I hope you've had an excellent holiday period so far and I look forward to plenty more BBFBs in 2010. See you next year, guys. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next books that you can follow along on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Let's go into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. You know something. As a matter of fact, there is no comics coming out next week, except for Blackest Night number 6, which has nothing to do with the Batman Universe. But that's the only book that's coming out from DC. Or does it? Next week. So Bruce Wayne's skull, what lies beneath? And I'm sure we'll mention something about that on the website, so you can tune in there to find out about that. On January 6th, we do have two comics, Batman Confidential number 40 and Red Robin number 8. As far as what we will be covering next time on the podcast, only a matter of four comics, Arkham Reborn number 3, Detective Comics number 860, Gotham City Sirens number 7, and World's Finest number 3. As always, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, 
with any comments, questions, or things, we're soon going to be having a lot more time for discussions. And I believe our discussion for the next one is going to be what has happened as far as inside Blackest Night. So you can get prepped for that. That's going off of an email that was sent us, sent to us asking us to kind of cover Blackest Night and what's going on in Blackest Night and how we like it and what we like and what we don't like about it and how it pertains to the Batman universe. So that is what you can look forward to for the next episode. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. We will soon be having a contest coming in the very near future, so it might be in your best interest to do a review on iTunes. That's all I'm going to say. Go on to the forums, become a member, check out the website for daily news and editorial posts along with bat scans of the day, and listen to the Batman Universe podcast as well. That's all I wanted to know. This is the last podcast that we'll post before the end of the year, so be sure to check out Project Fanboy to vote for us for the best fan site of the year. Uh, We have some awesome things in store for the website in the next coming year. Some things actually will be happening very soon, so please stay tuned to the website. I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas since this episode will post on Christmas Day. For those of you who listen to it right away, who'd rather listen to us than listen to your family, I thank you. Uh, (laughs) So Merry Christmas to one and all, and we hope you guys have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. So this is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Zach. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode 34. We'll see you guys next time. Happy holidays. Keep it real. This is going to be one massive one for you. Yeah. Oh, I mostly because of those that e-page giant. Yeah, me stumbling over myself through that twenty-five minute. Oh my god! I'm never doing another one of those. (laughs) And the sad thing is, the sad thing is, you actually volunteered yourself. Yeah, well, because well, originally I was only going to do two books because I thought. I well, thought Apple I re- would have done Superman, Batman, and Batman Confidential right. if he was here. Right. So I did two more. So, but I didn't know. I didn't plan on going that in in depth into every single story. I was just going to be like, this one's important and this one's important. These aren't. But then I was like, I need to go through every one. Yeah. There's a podcast from a maybe a few months ago where I had to do the two annuals that were like out that podcast and. I didn't oh, have, I didn't read them, and I said, Dustin, I didn't read those. They sucked. I'm not doing them. But it worked out that hey, I mean, nobody Fabian else. Fabian wrote those. How could those? I suck? know. Well, Fabian. Fabian is kind of hit a Fabian oh, writer gosh. of the year. He'll be yes, and he's writer of the year because of, because his other stuff is so good that it makes up for these stinkers. Uh-huh. So I had to like send. Uh, Dustin and Nick, this uh, you know, just recording of me doing it to plug in for later because I was not ready at all by the time we did the podcast, and yeah. it took me like finally one night when I was working and the kids were sleeping, I sat down to do it, and you could just like hear me like towards the end of it, like the rundown. I'm just like, okay, you know what? 
you know, Batman rescues Robin, Hazriel gets away, you know, uh, that's it. And then, like I said, like, never make me do that again. And, like, you can hear me just getting more, like, worn out. And, like, I, I get into less details. Like, you know, they, they get rescued. It's, you know, it's... Once, and then, once, once and I there started was a talking it, backup about Oracle and vampires. Ugh. Once I tried to finish it and then the dog started barking, I almost lost it. I was like, <laughs> you better shut up right now or I'm going to come over there and I'm going to shut you up myself because... I'm trying to finish this. Oh, oh. My God. All right. I'm taking a nap until I have to record Bertoni Beetle Bonanza. Oh, what's what's the latest that. news that Paul McCartney wants to spend time with his daughter? <laughs> Go. And on that note, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>